0: Listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. You can enjoy more messages like this and more with the free Courage Matters app available in your App Store. To invite Michael to speak to your group, visit Couragematters.com and click on the Your Story tab. Hold on to your seat and open your heart as Mike teaches us from God's Word. What I want to do today is talk again about the movement of the Spirit of God in your life and in your family, and in a church, in this particular church, or in the church that you might go to if you're listening by podcast, in your family, in your individual life, what I want to do today is talk again about the movement of the Spirit of God, because if you haven't recognized it yet, if you haven't come to this conclusion yet, a mighty, true, genuine movement of the Spirit of God is what we need today more than anything else in our lives. We need a mighty, true, genuine move of the Spirit of God in our lives individually. We need God to move in our families today. We need to rediscover what a mighty and genuine and true move of the Spirit of God looks like. And not just be aware of it, but we want God to move in our families, don't we? We need God to move in our families. And we need God to move genuinely in the body of Christ, in the house of God. You know, Israel in their history, they had a house They had a thing called the temple, but there were times in Israel's history where that's all they had. They had the house, but the glory had departed. God was not moving even though they had the house. Likewise, we have to be careful that we don't have the appearance of godliness without the power of God. We have to be careful that we just don't have teachings about the word of God, that we're not just aware of what God teaches, but that we are putting into practice what we are aware of. And we are becoming increasingly aware of what the Word of God teaches so that we can put it into practice. Because what you need in your life is a genuine move of the Spirit of God. You need that more than at any other time in your life. What we need, I need that too. What we need in our families more than at any other time in the history of the United States of America is a genuine movement of the Spirit of God in each and every family. We need a movement of the Spirit of God. And we need in the church of Jesus Christ a genuine movement, movements of the Spirit of God in every single house of God, the church, the body of Christ. See, we're just one outpost of many outposts. We need many movements of the Spirit of God in all of the churches that bear the name of Jesus because without a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in the church, without a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in our families, and without a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in our individual lives, we're toast. We are toast. We have got to have The movement of the Spirit of God in our lives, our lives must be characterized by a genuine movement of the Spirit of God, not just in the past tense, but ongoing, perpetually. That's what's going to change your marriage, a movement of the Spirit of God. That's what's going to change your life, a movement of the Spirit of God. That's what's going to change your business, a movement of the Spirit of God, and that is what will change the church. The sum being the whole of the parts, individuals and families, We need a transforming work by the Spirit of God in the body of Christ. Because if you haven't recognized this, if you haven't come to terms with this, the church is God's plan A for the transformation of the world. The church is God's plan A for the transformation of the world. God does not have a safety net. He does not have a backup plan. It's you and me or it's hell on earth. That's the way it works. It's you and me together unified, together, arm in arm, led by the Spirit of God. That's how we roll in the body of Christ because that's how God rolls. When God wants to change a culture, when God wants to change a society, he does it with individuals. He does it with people. He does it with flesh and blood. He does it with a group of people, flesh and blood, coming together in humility for the sake of the King and the kingdom. Not kings and kingdoms, the king and the kingdom. We are plan A, there is no plan B. We need a mighty, genuine, true movement of the Spirit of God in our lives individually. We need a mighty, true, genuine movement of the Spirit of God in our families. And we need a mighty, genuine, true, of epic proportions move of the Spirit of God in the body of Christ, the church that bears his name. We need that. And so what I want to talk about today in regard to the movement of the Spirit of God is I want to raise two questions that you should get into the DNA of your life, the DNA of your daily living. Two questions. And by the time we're done, you're going to wonder how you were living life without these two questions. And you're going to know with absolute certainty that it will not be possible after we're done today. It will not be possible any longer to live your life to lead your family to be part of the body of Christ without asking perpetually and answering perpetually these two simple but life-changing questions. Are you ready for these questions? They will change your life. They will spare you, if you are a young person, they will spare you years of wandering in the wilderness. They will spare you, if you're an older person, going to your grave, missing the movement of the Spirit of God. They will spare you wasted time and wasted energy. That's why I am preaching this as strongly as I can, as urgently as I can, because what I care about is that you hear the Word of God, that you understand how to practically apply the Word of God, and that we catch up With God, because we're lagging behind. These two questions will revolutionize your life, and I mean your life. They will revolutionize your family. They will revolutionize this family, the body of Christ. The first question is, that you must ask continually, is, what is the Spirit of God saying and doing around me? What is God doing? What is he saying? How is he speaking to me? And the second question, which makes all the difference in the world because you need to go beyond just being aware of what you see God doing and saying and how he's moving. And you need to ask the second question, which is how should I respond to what I see God doing and saying around me? What is the Spirit of God saying and doing? How do I best respond to what God is saying and doing? What is God doing in my life individually? What is he trying to say to me? How is he trying to speak to me? By what means is he trying to speak to me? How is God speaking to me in my family? By what means is God speaking to me? How is he trying to get to get my attention? What is God saying to the church, to the body of Christ, like in the book of Revelation where it says, I'm saying these things to the churches. Is the church listening to what I'm saying? We've got to be able to discern what is the spirit of God saying and doing and then how do we best respond to what God is saying and doing? It is not business as usual. That's our problem. We think it's business as usual. Israel settled for a house at one point. The temple. They had the house. They had the furnishings. It was beautiful, but God wasn't there. It was the physical presentation, the physical representation, the temple of where God's special presence was said to dwell. But when the glory had departed, The glory had departed. And you know, the sad thing is that most in Israel didn't mind. They didn't mind. But God minded. And God still cares. He cares about whether or not he's moving in your life. He cares about whether or not he's moving in your family. And he certainly cares about whether or not he's moving in his church. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, as we ask those questions, what is the Spirit of God saying and doing in our lives? How do we best respond to what God is saying or doing? Oh, if we started to ask that question at a national level, maybe we would awaken. How is God trying to get our attention? We're going to be addressing that in the weeks ahead. Maybe even as soon as next week, as soon as I get released from God and talking about this idea of movement because it's so important, we're not ready to move on yet. God is speaking to our nation. He's speaking in biblical proportions to our nation. But we're not asking that second question, and so we're stuck in the mud. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's the verse that we're looking at. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. That's not second class. That's the only thing that God could do, not giving literal physical birth to us, was to adopt us as children. And there's no difference, legally speaking, no difference, legally speaking, between a legally adopted child and a natural born child. It's the same as if they were naturally born. And that's what God did with you and me the moment we accepted Christ. The moment you accept Christ, he legally makes it as if he had given you natural birth, which we know that God doesn't do. We've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Aramaic, Daddy. That's what Jesus called his father, Daddy, a term of intimacy. It's not a focus on sonship in terms of sexist language. The biblical writer here is using language that, would, that people in that day, in that first century, would be able to understand and be able to appreciate. To be a son was to be favored by God. To be adopted was to be favored by God. To be legally the same as if you were physically born from god that's what god did the moment you accepted christ so the scripture we're focusing on is verse 14 all who are led by the spirit of god are sons of god you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We don't have enough time to exhaust even this brief passage of Scripture, but we do have time to take a look at the sealing of the Holy Spirit, and the baptism with, by, of, and in the Holy Spirit. Look with me at the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, look what our Word of God says. Look what the Word of God says. In Him, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Look at that, the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. When you accepted Christ, the moment anybody accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, their God, they hear the gospel and they say, Jesus did die on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus paid a price that I couldn't pay. Jesus took my place. I give my life to Jesus as my Savior and my God, my substitute sacrifice for the forgiveness of my sins. The moment that happens, you are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Do you notice that God did not ask you if you'd like to be sealed in the Holy Spirit? He didn't say, hey, listen, I just saved you, so now I would like your permission to seal you with the Holy Spirit. No, there are certain things that God does without asking us for permission. And aren't you glad that God does that? Aren't you glad that God does things for you without getting your permission, without asking you for your permission? In fact, if we had more of a say in what we would allow God to release into our lives, I think the overwhelming majority of us, number one, wouldn't reach high enough. And number two, we'd tie his hands the sealing work of the Holy Spirit is something that happens to every single believer the moment they give their life to Jesus Christ. And it's like God the Father, it's a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance. It's like God saying, I'm going to give you $20 toward the 100 that I'm going to give you. We don't yet experience the redemption of our bodies this side of eternity. We don't yet experience a glorified body in the presence of God. That's why he's talking about a deposit A guaranteeing of the inheritance that is yet to come. When God says, I'm good for it, God means that he is good for it. Everything else that God says he's promised... It's going to come to reality. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. The seal of the Holy Spirit is God's down payment. It's his earnest money. It's him saying, everything else that I promised you, a redeemed body, the redemption of your body, being with me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. That's true for you. You don't have it yet, but it's coming. Why? Because God has given you, through the Holy Spirit, the moment you accepted Jesus Christ's earnest money. He's given you a deposit. The Holy Spirit, the Seal of the Holy Spirit. And God didn't ask us for permission, and He certainly didn't need our permission. And the same thing is true when it comes to the baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, of, within, by the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, the immersion of the believer into the Holy Spirit. So so you needed not just to be sprinkled with the Holy Spirit, you needed to be absolutely transformed by immersion in the Holy Spirit. That's the idea of being baptized in the wool, dyed in the wool, where a wool piece of fabric was immersed totally into a colored dye, and then when it came out, it was no longer white. It was whatever color that was. You can't get the dye out of it anymore once something was dyed in the wool or baptized in the wool. And that's the imagery that's presented here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. See the emphasis again on unity, 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 unity. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God did not ask you, hey, would you mind if I also baptized you in the Holy Spirit? He didn't ask you and he didn't ask me if he could do that. He needed to do that because we were dead in our trespasses, in our transgressions, dead in our sins, and we needed the Spirit of God to permeate and saturate Every part of who we are, from the top of our heads to the bottom of our feet. The baptism in, with, of, by the Holy Spirit is something that God does to each and every believer the moment of salvation. And God didn't ask you for your permission. He did it because He loves you. He knows what you need, even when you don't know what you need. And He gives generously. He gives generously. God is a giving God. He's not waiting for you to ask him for certain things. He's gonna give it to you whether you want it or not. And once you get what God gives you, you'll find that you want what God has given you. So the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, not something that you and I have no say in. God sealed you with the Holy Spirit the moment you gave your life to Christ. The baptizing work of the Holy Spirit, no say in that. You get the Holy Spirit, You baptize into the Holy Spirit the moment you give your life to Christ. Now, are there empowerments with the Holy Spirit? Sure. For another day, another time, we can talk about that. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit multiple times. But that initial work, that baptizing by, with, of, in the Holy Spirit happens the moment you give your life to Christ, whether you're ready or not. Here it comes. It's a package deal. God knows how to deliver He knows how to do things right. He gives us what we need. even We we don't even understand if we want it. We don't even understand what we need it. But, 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 but. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. The leading of the Holy Spirit is not something that is automatic. It is not automatic that everybody who is a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, will automatically be led by the Holy Spirit. If that were the case, we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in as a nation. Our families would not be in the situation that they're in. Our individual lives would not be in the situation that they're in. The leading of the Holy Spirit is something that you must decide upon for your individual life. You have to decide upon your family. Will your family be characterized as being led by the Holy Spirit or led by some other kind of a spirit? Will your church, will this church, be characterized as being led by the Spirit or led by some other spirit? Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. How do you know if somebody is a son of God, a daughter of God, somebody who can cry out, Abba, Father, somebody who has an intimate relationship with God, a close spiritual relationship with God because all of their sins have been forgiven? Because eventually, eventually at some point in their life, being led by the Spirit of God begins to eclipse and surpass and overtake being led by the Spirit of man and the affections and the attractions of other things. The sealing with the Holy Spirit, God's work, he didn't ask you for permission. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, God's work, he didn't ask for permission, didn't wait for you, but being led by the Holy Spirit, what is the Spirit of God saying and doing in your life and how should you best respond to it? What is the Spirit of God saying and doing in your family and how should you best respond to it? What is the Spirit of God saying to the church today? at this particular time in history, and how should we be responding to it? Let me take it another level. What is the Spirit of God saying to our nation, and how should we best be responding to it? Now, we must be careful of Holy Spirit extremism. Holy Spirit extremism, attributing some type of a manifestation, some type of a work, some type of a something to the Holy Spirit when it has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been exposed to that. I've been exposed to that. Holy Spirit extremism, using the name and the reputation of the Holy Spirit to attribute something that is not of the Holy Spirit to the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes it happens in what we would call Pentecostal extremism, where people would say, you've got to have this manifestation, you've got to have that manifestation. Listen, if it's of the Holy Spirit, it will always point people to Jesus Christ. If it's of the Holy Spirit, it will be done, although in a powerful way, although in a mighty way, It will always be done in an orderly way that at the end of it, people aren't praising the people involved. People aren't enamored with the manifestation that took place. People aren't amazed at what happened in the natural realm. They must, without even having to be reminded, look upward and say, what an awesome God. That's how you know whether or not The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is moving. If it is the Spirit of God moving, it will always point to the God who is moving through his Spirit. That's the way it works. Got a whole lot of Pentecostal extremism or Holy Spirit extremism, spiritual franchising, using the name of God to rubber stamp something that God has nothing to do with. And that's caused a lot of damage in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ, hasn't it? I tricked you because I just set you up. Because over here, in our ultra-conservative evangelical circles, we commit Holy Spirit extremism too. In a different way. But it's still Holy Spirit extremism nonetheless because we're doing a whole lot in the power of the flesh and saying it's the Spirit of God and God has nothing to do with it. We're not led by the Spirit of God. And we're assuming that we're led by the Spirit of God. We're assuming that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet, it's our power and it's our strength and we want God to bless what he didn't initiate because we're not asking the question, What is the Spirit of God saying and doing? And if we're not asking that question, we're certainly not asking the second question, which is how do we respond to what the Spirit of God is saying and doing? Do you see how important those two questions are? How they go hand in glove? How they'll revolutionize your life? How they'll revolutionize your family? How they will revolutionize a church? What is the Spirit of God saying and doing? What is He saying to us in the nation with all the economic difficulty we have? What is God saying to us with the the state of California running out of water? What is God saying to us? What is God saying to us with the breakdown of absolute values, the definition of marriage, the definition of gender, the definition of sex? What is God saying to us? Why are we not asking that question? We should be asking that question, and we should be asking ourselves, what must we do to respond to what God is saying to us? At the end of your life, your life will either be characterized by being led by the Spirit of God or led by something else. Our families will either be characterized by being led by the Holy Spirit, and you've got to be intentional about it, or led by something else. And the same is true in the church that bears his name. A church must be characterized as being led by the Holy Spirit, or it's led by something else. That's the bottom line. We can be involved in this extreme saying, oh, it's the Holy Spirit when it's not. Or that extreme saying it's the Holy Spirit when it's not the Holy Spirit. We're not giving God opportunity to move. That's why Jesus got locked out of his own church in Revelation. It was his church, not ours. And he's got no wiggle room. He's got no place to move because we boxed him in. You think I'm upset about that? Who am I? I'm nobody. I am no. I am a mist that has appeared for a little while and then will vanish and no one will know my name. No one will know what I've done, but God will know. We've got to be so careful that we don't put a Holy Spirit stamp on something that the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with in our families, nothing to do with in our lives, nothing to do with in the church, At the end of the day, we will either be characterized as being led by the Spirit of God or led by something else, and I don't have time to be led by anything other than the Holy Spirit, and neither do you. We've spent enough time, we've spent enough time and enough energy living and being led by something else, our own passions and our own desires. What marketers tell us is important rather than being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, the difference between being led by the Holy Spirit and Not being led by the Holy Spirit is sometimes not as obvious as it should be. We could hop in a car today, take a bus, and go to the Susquehanna River. And we could go to a part of the Susquehanna River with a canoe and a paddle. And we could get into that canoe together. Not all of us, just a couple of us. We could get into that canoe and begin to paddle. And we might think, hey, things are going pretty good because we're we're in this canoe. We're floating. That's half the battle when you're in a river, at least for me. And we're paddling, and what we're doing is we're making that canoe go wherever we want it to go. Seems good. Seems noteworthy. Seems seaworthy. But we could go to that same river, that same bank of the river, on the same exact day with the same exact conditions, without a canoe and without a paddle, but this time with the tire tube fully inflated. And we could throw that tire tube into the river and get inside and let the current take us where the current wants to go. That is the difference between being led by the Spirit of God and leading the Spirit of God to places that he just will not go because God's Spirit will not strive with man's forever. We are not in a position to tell the Holy Spirit where to go because when we tell God what to do and how to do it, he's no longer God. We are. The aim of your life must be the aim in your family. The aim in your family must be the aim in the church to not just think about being led by the Holy Spirit, but to actually be led by the Holy Spirit. God does not need you to paddle along the way. God needs you and me to get out of the way. He is the one directing the ship. He's the one that wants to direct the current. He's the one that wants us to... To be led by him in our individual lives and in our families and in the body of Christ. Now, the question arises, well, how can I be, practically speaking, led by the Holy Spirit in my family? How can we be practically led by the Holy Spirit in my family? How can I be practically led in by the Holy Spirit in my church? Well, first of all, those two questions need to become part of your daily and moment-by-moment routine. It can't get any more practical than that. You need to begin to ask the question in the course of your day, throughout the day, all the time what is the Spirit of God saying and doing? What do I see Him doing? God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to my family? What are you saying to the church? What are you doing? You've got to ask that question repeatedly, and then you have to answer the question with the second question How do I best respond to what I see you doing, what I hear you saying? Get those questions into your DNA. Write them down on a piece of paper. Put them on your refrigerator. Put them on your bedside. Put them at your place of work. Put it in your car. Get into the habit of discerning how God is moving. Because if you don't discern, and if you're not intentional about looking for God moving around you, you might miss him. And I'm afraid that in this country we've been missing God It's not that he has not been speaking. He has been speaking. We're not paying attention to what he's saying. That's the problem. And when God's people don't listen to what God is saying, God doesn't shut up. He won't let himself be put in a box. He speaks louder. Oh, you didn't hear me, what I've been saying? Oh, let me... me. Use one of the other methods at my disposal. Since you're not listening to me, God is speaking. The problem is we're not paying attention to what he's saying. We are not as led by the Spirit of God as we think we are. So you've got to get into your DNA, those two questions. What is the Spirit of God saying and doing? Secondly, how do I respond to what you're saying and doing? Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. I'm going to adjust my life. Secondly, look with me at the book of James, James chapter 1. The Word of God becomes incredibly important, patently important, when it comes to being led by the Spirit. James chapter 1, verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted Word, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know, there's a difference between a casual reading, even a deep reading of the word of God and the meek reception of the word of God that's already been implanted in you. If you read Jeremiah 31, verse 31, the new covenant, and you you begin to read verse 31 and you keep going, God has put his law in the hearts of people. That's what the new covenant's all about, prophesied in Jeremiah 31. There would come a day when God would put his words in the hearts, write them on the hearts of people. Simply hearing the Word of God, being knowledgeable about the Word of God does not mean you're moving with the God of His Word. It does not mean that you or I am being led by the Spirit of God simply because we know what the Word of God says. And that is our number one problem in the body of Christ. We know what the Bible says. We know it. We are not humbly meekly submitting ourselves to the word of God that we say we honor and we adore. You know, it's not possible to honor and worship God if we dishonor the word of God that he has written. We honor and worship and serve God in proportion to our honoring and serving God through obedience to his word. That's why what's happening today morally is important. And I'm not talking about outside the church. I'm talking about inside the church. James 1, 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Let's say that together. Receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Hearing the word of God is not going to change your life not going to change my life, never change anybody's life if that's as far as it went. You have to receive, I have to receive with meekness the word of God, the book of God, the Bible, the word of God that's written on our hearts has to be coupled with a meek humility and a submission to the word of God. That's what's going to change your marriage. And I can tell you from the people that I counsel, I can tell you from the people that other pastors on staff counsel, the thing that drives God nuts, if God could be driven nuts, and he can't, is when we meet with couple after couple and they know what the Bible says because we've gone through this a bazillion times. They know what the Bible teaches. I'm going to do this so nobody thinks I'm looking at them because it could be any of us. What's missing in the marriage relationship? I don't care how long you've known Jesus as your Savior, and neither does God. Nobody's going to stand before Jesus and say, well, I knew you for 55 years. No, he's going to say, well, what do you have to show for it? The longer you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the more you'll be accountable to God for what you did with that Jesus you knew for all those years. The number one thing that's missing in most marriages is the failure to meekly submit to the Word of God that we already know is true. That's why you are having marital problems. It is not because the pastor can't counsel you or a professional counselor can't counsel you. It's not. It is because there is a failure to meekly apply and submit to the word of God. And so what are we instead? We are hearers of the word and not doers. If you allow yourself to simply hear the word of God and be knowledgeable about the word of God, get a nice cushioned seat, pull up to that 50-yard line, get a bag of chips or whatever you like to snack on and get used, take your shoes off because you're not getting onto the field. Your life will be reduced to watching other people move with God. And I'll tell you what, no matter what your age, whether you are young or old, you need a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in your life more than ever. We need a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in our families more than ever. And we need a mighty movement of the Spirit of God in the body of Christ, the church that bears the name of Jesus more than ever. The way to be led by the Holy Spirit is to ask those two questions. What are you doing? What are you saying, Lord? How do I best respond to what you're doing and what you're saying? Receiving with meekness, secondly, the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls. And the third way, which scares the daylights out of me, but I've got to say it. You've got to follow godly leaders who do those same first two things. That's what you got to do. A godly leader has got to be asking those two questions. What's God doing? What's he saying? How do I best respond to what he's doing and say, listen, I'm going to give an account in a way that you're not going to give an account one day. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, it says, and I say this with a gulp and a deep swallow, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. I am going to give an account before the judgment seat of Christ one day in a way that you will not give an account before the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to do that because we all are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. Those of us who haven't will appear before the great white throne judgment spoken of in Revelation. The judgment seat of Christ is one of rewards And I am one day going to stand before the Lord and give an account for whether or not I led this church to be led by the Spirit of God or led by somebody else. Now, I've thought about it. I might do it in the future. Don't be surprised if one day that you see me try to preach a message with a paper bag over my head. Because if there was a way that I could proclaim the glory of God and point people to Jesus without myself being part of the equation, I would do it. We do need to make fundamental changes to the way we are doing church because I'm not so sure. As the senior pastor of this church, I do have a right and a responsibility to say this because the weight and the burden of the direction of this church does, whether we like it or not, it does fall on me. And I feel it heavily at times. I, Pastor Mike, will give an account before the judgment seat of Christ in a way that you will not. And God will judge me based on whether or not I led this church to the Lord and in the leading of the Holy Spirit, or away from Him. And sometimes that fight sucks the life out of me. And all that's left is the life of Jesus. And I hope you do pray for me, and I hope you do pray for my family, and I hope you do pray for the elders, and I hope you do pray for the deacons. I happen to be the lead pastor of this church. And as for me and my house, I'm going to plead with you. I'm going to beg with you to be led by the Holy Spirit individually. I'm going to plead with you and beg you to have your family be led by the Holy Spirit. And I cannot compromise you. I can't affect your family individually, except by preaching the word of God, maybe doing some counseling, earnestly pleading, trying to direct the whole church in certain regards. But I can affect the direction of the church, and I will fight. For this church to be led by the Holy Spirit, I will do that. I have to do that. At the end of the day, this church will either be characterized as being led by the Holy Spirit or led by a man or led by something else. I'm not good enough to follow, I'm not wise enough to follow. So I've got to continually ask, and I've got to help my leaders continually ask these two questions. What is the Spirit of God saying and doing? How do we best respond to what God's saying and doing? How is the Spirit of God moving in our midst? How do we best respond to how God's moving in our midst? What is the Spirit of God saying and doing? How do we best respond? What's He saying and doing? How do we best respond? We ask that at a staff level. We're asking it more and more at an elder level. We ask it at a deacon level. And if we don't Clearly discern what the Spirit of God is saying and doing and how He's moving. We certainly can't begin to move because we need insight on how to move. And in order to know how to move, we first need to know where to move and how God is moving. And as for me and my house, that's what it means to serve the Lord. That's how I lead here. That's how I believe the Lord rolls. But I try with all that I can to be a leader of whom you can submit to. As Paul said, First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I want this church to be led by the Holy Spirit. If there was a way for that to happen without human involvement, I would do it. I think it would be easier. But who am I to question how God has ordained things? If you want to be led by the Spirit of God, you do need to follow godly leaders who ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? How do we respond to what you're doing? Somebody who's sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You want to follow a leader who submits to the word of God. I don't want you to follow what I'm saying. I want you to follow what I am saying in proportion to this is what the Bible teaches so that if you are opposing what's being taught, what's being modeled, you have nothing to go to other than say, well, I'm I'm disobeying what God's word is saying. There's no other way around that. In fact, it gets more scary if you look at the book of Numbers chapter 11. Look with me at Numbers chapter 11, beginning in verse 16 and verse 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and I will talk with you there. And I will take some of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Sometimes the pressures of ministry are overwhelming, and I wish they were overwhelming by people outside the church. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of the difficulty comes from people within the church, and any pastor who's been around for any length of time will tell you that because people within the church do not understand that being led by the Spirit is to prioritize Hebrews 13:17. You want to be led by the Spirit of God? Hebrews 13, 17 needs to be something you commit to memory. God raises up leaders for the purpose of leading the people. You want to be led by the Spirit of God? There's no way to be led by the Spirit of God apart from being led by godly leaders. And here in Numbers... You see why I'm out of my mind to talk about this, but I have to talk about it because this is what the Word of God teaches. God speaking to Moses, taking some of what Moses had and imparting it to the other leaders so that in unity as one, They weren't divided, but they were together on the same page, being led by the Spirit of God, that the movement of God was through Moses, and the movement of God was through the leaders that came through Moses and through his leadership. And then when we get to Numbers chapter 11, verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, meaning proclaimed the glory of God, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said, Are you jealous for my sake? In other words, don't concern yourself about my reputation. Concern yourself with the reputation of God. Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. How important it is for what Moses had to be imparted to other leaders so that what God was doing in the life of Moses wasn't isolated God was speaking to a leader and then taking what he was speaking to that leader and speaking to other leaders. You find this again and again in the Bible, even in the New Testament. You find that that's God's plan A. He uses people like you. People like me. And he speaks to a leader and then what he speaks to that leader gets spoken to other leaders. And those other leaders take it and they impart it into the, to the rest of the area, the rest of the people where God's message and God's word permeates and saturates And a movement of God gets underway. And the people are led by the Spirit of God. The people are together asking the question, what is the Spirit of God saying and doing? How do we best respond to what God's saying and doing? How can we meekly submit ourselves to the Word of God that's been implanted in us? And let's get busy doing what God has called us to do. The greatest need in your life is to be led by the Spirit of God. The greatest need in your family is to be a family that is led by the Spirit of God and the greatest need in the body of Christ is to be led by the Spirit of God. It is time for us to be led by the Spirit individually, led by the Spirit in our families, led by the Spirit in the church and that's my story and I'm sticking to it. We do not back down from that. We do not retreat from the way God does things we do not belittle and we do not diminish how absolutely vital how timely how transforming how urgent how necessary how practical the leading by the Holy Spirit is in our lives because those who are led by the Spirit are the sons and the daughters of God You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. We'd love to hear how this message impacted you. To share your story, visit CourageMatters.com and click on the Your Story tab. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.